In the past few months, there's been a lot that's happened in our world. The effects of systemic racism have been pulled to the forefront starting in February with the disproportionate effect of SARS-CoV-2 on black Americans. And in May, George Floyd was killed due to police brutality. Many of us in the science field have been shocked with the pervasiveness of racism in our world at large, but also in our worlds closer to home, like academia, medicine, and science communication. For the next two podcasts, we are going to look at two instances of unethical treatment of black people in medicine, but there are many, many more examples beyond what we will share. Our purpose behind this is to draw attention to the injustices that have happened and continue to happen in medicine so that we can all advocate for change. After these two episodes, we will then talk about race, genetics, and medicine as a two-part episode. For those episodes, we're investing a lot of time in reading, researching, and talking to geneticists and sociologists about how to address the topic of race and genetics. We expect these next few podcasts to be sobering, but necessary as we move forward. Hopefully, it will encourage you to seek out change in your communities, but also to recognize some of the horrors inflicted on the Black community in the name of medicine and cures. Today we're going to talk about the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. This experiment began in 1932 and continued until 1972, so 40 years. And the experiment was conducted in Macon, Alabama and enrolled 600 poor African-American sharecroppers. And the purpose of this experiment was to investigate how untreated syphilis progressed. Syphilis, you've probably heard of before, is a bacterial infection that is normally transmitted sexually, but can also be transmitted from mother to baby. It begins with a small sore, followed by a rash, and 3 to 15 years after the initial infection, it can eventually lead to blindness, central nervous system issues, heart problems, and many other potential symptoms. So as you can tell, syphilis is not good news, and in 1932 there was no cure for this disease. At that time, it was thought that African Americans suffered from syphilis more because they had more sexual partners. So the Tuskegee syphilis experiment was born from this assumption. Uh, Flyers were advertised that said, free blood test, free treatment by county health department and government doctors. You may feel well and still have bad blood. Come and bring all your family. This was just crazy for me to read that, you know, in the advertising of the study, they don't even talk about what they're going to test or look at and they cited bad blood I mean what does that even mean I know it's ludicrous when you think about what this sort of advertising meant and most of these men were lured in by the promise of free health care to treat bad blood which when I looked it up it was a term that encompassed the cause of death for many African Americans in poor southern communities and it was kind of a catch-all term that really meant nothing biologically And the men were enticed by free bus rides to the clinic and a free meal. And ultimately, 600 African-American men were enrolled in this study. 399 of them had syphilis, and 201 of them were uninfected. Wow. So these men weren't even aware of what they were being enrolled in besides just treating this bad blood that is not even a real thing. I mean, it sounds like a major ethical violation to me. Once they... So once they were enrolled in this, um, what did the researchers do? So the researchers' original intention was to study how syphilis affects the untreated body. To do this, they gave the men placebo pills or aspirin and just watched how the disease progressed in those that had syphilis. 
Interestingly, there were also some treated with toxic treatments that slightly helped their conditions, but this kind of negates the whole study since the goal was to not treat syphilis, but to instead see how it infected the body. But a side note to this, the men who had syphilis did not know they had syphilis and did not know they were going to be treated for syphilis or that any of this was going to be looked at. None of this was disclosed to the men who were part of this study. That's just crazy to me. I mean, we live in a world of an informed consent nowadays where that that wouldn't happen. I mean, I've participated in research studies at UNC and there's always that informed consent page at the at the, you know, up front before the study where they tell you what they're going to do and you sign it. I mean, this is just like crazy to think about. And it happened in the 1970s was when it ended. Yeah, 1972. Yeah, it's just sickening. So initially the study was meant to last for six months, but a decision was made that um, they should study these men to the end of their lives, resulting in the study lasting 40 years. Um, They wanted to see how syphilis ravaged the body, essentially. Yeah. And bringing up your informed consent point, uh, this the gross ethical violations that happened as a result of this study ultimately led to informed consent being a thing, which we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast, but just as a preview. So you can see that this study already seems really sketchy because the men weren't being given anything to help their syphilis or it was a toxic sort of treatment. They didn't even know they had syphilis, but just thought they had bad blood. And researchers' jobs were to watch the men die and record their symptoms. And they did nothing to help these men as they just progressively got worse and worse and died. I can't imagine that, like, being my job. Just to watch people suffer and and record all of that. Like, what's the point of that? I, I, as a biologist, like, I do this because I want to help people. Um, it just seems pointless. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And you wonder if they questioned or if they just took what their superior said and said, okay, this is my job and I have to do this, or if they pushed back. Yeah, I mean, authority has a big um, sway for a lot of people. They've done sociological studies on that, but it just, yeah, it's terrible. But we know that we have a cure for syphilis now, so um, I actually don't know when did that come about in relation to this study. That's the big kicker. In 1945, penicillin was approved to treat syphilis. This antibiotic can cure syphilis by killing the bacteria causing the infection. So you would think that the researchers would be excited to give these men this drug after seeing the effects of the disease on the men, because they've been watching these men for the last 13 years, and... You'd think they'd want to cure them, but no. What the researchers did is they actually prevented the men from getting treatment and were even quoted as saying, so far we are keeping known positive patients from getting treatment. They discouraged the men from seeking medical care anywhere else, and but through them, through those researchers. And sometimes they even followed these men to make sure they weren't getting medical care anywhere else because they didn't want to compromise the study. This is the thing that's like so horrible that you know like as a as an average citizen like you trust your doctor and they know but they tell you not to go anywhere else like you do what they say um because you don't they're the medical expert and maybe they're an expert in this and you can't get as good care somewhere else like it's so manipulative 
I just felt sick when I was doing all this research of just that this happened. And then it was supported by the CDC. I mean. I know. I know. Like, you could see maybe every once in a while you hear about a rogue doctor, right? Like, going off and doing something crazy and unethical like this. But that this was supported. Like, this was documented. And somebody gave, our a, government. Yep, somebody gave a check mark to say, approved. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's just horrifying that they knew that they could cure these men and they just decided to keep going with this study. I mean, it goes against like everything that we think is ethical, even, even in a clinical trial, like if you're testing stuff, you have to, you have to give the patient a good standard of care, you know, like you, you can't just give them a placebo if, if they could (laughs) die, like you have to give them the best treatment in the field and compare that to whatever treatment you're testing. Like you, I don't know. It's just, morally reprehensible and to me it it sounds like something that you hear about um the coming out of the scientists in nazi germany where doctors almost viewed their subjects as like less than human oh for sure i mean that was their that was how they justified so many experiments was because they didn't consider the jews human and in this case i think You could argue that's the same thing here in these experiments is that they didn't consider these black men human and just let it happen. But it gets even worse because most of these men were illiterate, so they couldn't read the ads in the newspaper saying that there was a treatment for syphilis and that treatment centers were popping up all over the U.S. to treat the disease. And further, most of these men were still unaware they had syphilis and they were infecting their partners. Uh, According to Wikipedia, out of the 399 men who had syphilis, 28 of them died from syphilis, 100 of them died from complications related to syphilis, and 40 of their wives were infected, and 19 children were born with congenital syphilis, which is is syphilis that kind of starts from when you're born. So you can see that these decisions the researchers made had some far-reaching implications. Why did the study eventually end? This study, kind of as it was ongoing, was being written up in different journals, and researchers and doctors could read about the study. So some doctors heard about the study, and in 1955, this is like 12 years after it started, this doctor expressed ethical concerns. Nothing was done due to these ethical concerns. Then in 1965, 10 years later, another doctor read about the study and wrote in to the researchers to express concerns. And one of the researchers in the study actively ignored the letter and said that they should not respond to this letter. And finally, in 1966, Peter Buxton, who was a venereal disease researcher, he wrote to the Division of Venereal Diseases, which is where the study fell under, and he expressed his ethical concerns. The CDC did respond to him, and they reiterated that it was important that the study be completed. I mean, that's just, again, that's crazy that... Our government, the the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, is letting this happen. And that's 1966, so that's after we knew that penicillin could cure it. Yeah, and I mean, to think that they were probably just so focused on, okay, we must cure disease, we must cure disease. Not thinking of the human subjects that they were using and what was happening to them, but just so focused on the goal of, we need to know how this disease works. If the CDC didn't you know, respond to Peter Buxton's comments. Um, like, how did how did the studies eventually stop? 
So eventually, Peter Buxton went to the newspapers and leaked the story. And this led to the study being disbanded because the men did not know what the purpose of the study was. And when they had this like independent review looking at the study and seeing if it was valid, they said, well, the men didn't know what they were being treated for. So this is not okay that you did this study. But I mean, at that point, it'd been going on for almost 30 years, over 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's it ended, obviously, but it's just like pretty sickening that it was able to go on for that long and you know that 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 wouldn't have happened if they were white people i mean and thankfully as we kind of mentioned it did lead to legislation including the national research act in 1974 and this act required informed consent for any person entering any sort of trial and this is what rachel mentioned before anytime you're involved in a clinical trial or even just anything really involved in research participation, you know what they're testing and you have to read about it before you even commit to anything. And further in 1997, Bill Clinton personally apologized to eight of the study survivors. But this is still such a blot on our country's health system and our treatment of African Americans. And sadly, this didn't just happen to the black community. Uh, When I was doing my research, I found one of the main researchers, Dr. John Cutler, He had been involved in another unethical study from 1946 to 1948 where he and others intentionally infected 700 Guatemalans with syphilis to see if penicillin could prevent syphilis from, like, uh, being in the body. Well, yeah, and that's one of the worst things about many of these occurrences. The doctors that were in charge of these studies, nothing happens to them. Like this, that that man that you talked about was just able to go do something else unethical. Um, and I'll talk about a story next week where a doctor ends up losing his medical license for a year, um, and then he's able to come out of probation and is elected to a prestigious science society. He's elected as president. Um, so it's just, I I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely not a lot of like. You'd think that there would be more punishments due to this, but the United States was kind of like, oh, sorry, guys. Like, and they did pay some reparations, and but it still just completely is a blot on our country and our medical system failing African-Americans. So the Tuskegee experiment is obviously a really tragic story that has led many African-Americans to fear medical institutions. And I mean... There's good reason for that. The impacts of this have been far-reaching on trust in medicine. And a recent paper looked at life expectancies of black men after the Tuskegee experiments. And it revealed and found that medical mistrust and mortality correlated with disclosure of the study. So they estimated that based on this, that life expectancy for black men decreased by 1.5 years due to the men not going to the doctor out of fear. They also found that the closer the men lived to make in Alabama, the more they were influenced by the news of the Tuskegee trials and their mortality and mistrust rose. A lot of people have brought up the mistreatment of African-Americans in the healthcare system. And this is one strong example that has had repercussions lasting decades. And even though apologies were made and reparations were given, it's still really hard to move on from this. Completely. I mean, this is why a focus on ethics is so important. And thankfully... There are many laws in place to prevent something like this from happening again. 
uh, it can be easy for someone to think that you can infect someone with something, such as coronavirus, give them a vaccine and see what happens. But, you know, this is not an experiment in the lab with mice. We're talking about human beings here. Um, and even with animals, like you have to go through extensive um, paperwork and that has to pass through a board of scientists and uh, community members um, to make sure that, that you're being ethical with that. Um, and I mean, who did that for these men here? Obviously, no one. Um, but this is what makes research surrounding horrible diseases so difficult. It, it never means that you can, you know, it means you can't knowingly infect people with diseases or withhold treatment if you know something will help. Yeah, these sort of diseases are definitely different from cancer. Sometimes a drug can help a certain kind of cancer so much that they'll stop the clinical trial and give it to everyone because it works so well. And it's unethical to not give people something if it actually will help their cancer. But in the case of the Tuskegee experiment, it had been proved that penicillin worked to cure syphilis, and yet it was denied to these men. Ultimately, I mean, I think everyone can agree that this story is beyond despicable and the mistrust of the medical system is felt strongly in the black communities so in the next podcast we'll be talking about another kind of lack of consent and this time it deals with a doctor taking a sample of a black woman's tumor and proceeding to use it for research and researchers still use this today <laughs>